don't know about you, but I love Christmas. I mean, love Christmas. I love the carols. I love the parties. I love the food. <laughs> um, and, and I just, uh, I'm, I'm just love Christmas. But here's the thing. I wasn't ready for it this year. I, I don't know about you, but Christmas kind of snuck up on us this year, didn't it? Doesn't it feel like Christmas kind of snuck up on us? You know, I'm, you know, I'm normally like just all like, you know, Christmas ready to go gung-ho. And, and this year, not so much. I'm normally like champing at the bit to, to uh, get my Christmas music going and get, get Christmas carols started. Like the minute uh, we leave uh, my wife's aunt's house uh, over in Carthage, Illinois, the minute we leave her house, I turn the station to Christmas music and it's nonstop like Rudolph, Frosty, Hark the Herald, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, uh, Angels We Have Heard on High. It is like nonstop 24-7 uh, from that minute all the way up till Christmas Day, but not afterwards. Not afterwards. Only till Christmas. But this year, I, I finally turned Christmas music on just a couple days ago. And I don't know why it feels so strange and different this year. Maybe it's because Thanksgiving came so early. Thanksgiving was pretty early this year. In fact, it was as early as it could possibly be. I don't know, maybe that was it. Or, or maybe uh, it, it's just the, the winter blues... You know, because the weather turned so quickly, uh, it got really, really cold, really, really fast, and, and the winter weather arrived in the, at the end of autumn, and not when it's supposed to come, which is never. Um, I'll blame the winter weather for everything. That, that's pretty a safe, a safe bet. Um, but for some reason, I just I can't get into Christmas this year. I just haven't been able to get into it. And like I said, normally I'm... I'm a jolly old elf, or young elf. We'll go with young elf. Um, normally, you know, I'm all ready to go. I mean, I, when I hear the first strains of Holly Jolly Christmas by Burl Ives, I, the spirit of Burl Ives takes over me, and I'm the holliest, jolliest Christmas kind of guy there is. But this year just hasn't been that way. And, and maybe it's that way for you, too. Maybe you felt that same way. Uh, maybe for you, it's been very difficult to get into the Christmas spirit this year. Uh, maybe you haven't even set up your tree yet, or maybe you haven't decorated your house yet. I, I don't know about you, but I've noticed driving around that there are fewer houses decorated for Christmas this year. Have you, have you seen that? Have you noticed that? When you're driving around, it's like nobody's decorating for Christmas. What's going on? It seems like we just aren't in the Christmas spirit. And I'm not sure why. Now, some of you are. I've seen your pictures on Facebook. You're all decked out in your Christmas sweaters, and you've got your trees up, and you're all, you know, holly jolly. But a lot of people aren't. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. You know, it, it seems to me that here in, in, our, in America, it, we need Christmas more than ever. We need Christmas more than ever, and yet we just aren't there yet. And I don't mean to scare you or anything, but Christmas is 16 days away. 16 days away. And it doesn't feel like it, though. It just doesn't. So maybe we need Christmas more than ever. I, I know 2,000 years ago, the world really needed Christmas. We're going to start a series today. It's a three-week series called, Who Needs Christmas? And it comes from a church down in Atlanta, North Point Community Church. 
Wish I was there because it's probably a lot warmer there than it is here today. But uh, this comes from North Point Church in Atlanta. It's not a, when I'm, I'm not like reading somebody else's sermon. This the sermon series is based on that series. So we're not plagiarizing or anything like that. Um, but this is the series that we're going to do is based on that series from uh, North Point Church in Atlanta. And today we're going to talk about how the world needed Christmas. And we're going to talk about a lot of history, a lot of biblical history going back 4,000 years. Uh, as we start this series today, and we're going to talk about how the world needed Christmas. You know, many people find the Christmas story unbelievable. But here's the thing, is that the Christmas story is believable because the backstory is so remarkable. The backstory to Christmas is, is incredibly remarkable. It's, it's kind of amazing how Christmas came about. And, and uh, the Christmas story doesn't begin with a couple who was trying to figure out how they got pregnant. No, the Christmas story actually begins with a couple who didn't think they could get pregnant. The Christmas story doesn't begin with a couple who wasn't sure where they would have their baby, but rather the Christmas story begins with a couple who didn't think they would ever have a baby. You see, the Christmas story doesn't begin with Mary and Joseph. It doesn't begin with angels and shepherds. The Christmas story actually begins with a man named Abram, who became Abraham. That's where the Christmas story actually begins. And Abram and his wife Sarai, who became Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, couldn't have children. In fact, Abraham was 75 years old when God showed up. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, we'll put all the, the verses up here on the screen today. This is 2,090 years before the birth of Jesus. 2,090 years. And the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, here's the thing. Uh, he was going to go to this land. He was asked to leave everything he knew. He was asked to leave his security and his safety and his family and his land and his home. God asked Abram to leave everything he knew. And like I said, Abram was 75 years old. Verse 2 says this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So here we got Abram, who's 75 years old, and God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In other words, you're going to have many, 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 many descendants. Great nation? Abram would have settled for being a great-grandfather. He didn't have any kids at all. And yet God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. How is that even possible? Well, Abram chose to believe God. He believed the promise of God, even though he had no idea how it was going to come true. Because his wife is 10 years younger than he is. So Abram is 75. Sarah is 65. And God says, you're going to be a great nation. How is that even possible? It seemed incoherent, unbelievable, impossible. But you see, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And then in verse 3, he says this. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Everyone everywhere is going to be blessed through Abram and his line, through his lineage, through his descendants. He is going to bless everyone through Abram. 
And again, how is this even possible? This is 2,090 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. How is this going to happen? Like I said, it seemed incoherent. It seemed almost unbelievable. It seemed impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Everything is possible with God. So we fast forward. Uh, Fast forward about a thousand years. And sure enough, the kingdom of Israel is in place. Abram had a son. His name was Isaac. And uh, Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And the nation grew and grew and grew. And until they were enslaved in Egypt, they went to Egypt, they were enslaved in Egypt. And Moses came and he delivered them from uh, bondage and slavery in Egypt. And here's the thing, is that the world at that time was very, very violent. Uh, There was violence everywhere. Nations did did not get along with, with one another. There was wars all the time. And, and even the, the, the people of Israel, enslaved in Egypt, and then, well, God delivered them out of slavery. And he took them into Canaan and, and gave them a land of their own, the land that God had promised to Abram a thousand years ago. And, and so they went into this land and they, they, they had a kingdom, they had a nation, uh, the kingdom of Israel. And, and sure enough, uh, they started having kings, they had King Saul, and then they had King David. And King David was the warrior king, and he brought peace and power to the nation of Israel. And they began to uh, conquer other uh, peoples around them, uh, the, all the peoples of Canaan. And, and David brought power and peace to Israel. And then David's son Solomon became king. And David's son Solomon uh, brought wealth and influence to the nation of Israel. And Solomon was a wise king, but Solomon made a a terrible mistake. Instead of blessing the nations around them, Solomon chose to marry their their women. And and when he did that, he started worshiping their gods. And, And God told Solomon that if you worship their gods, your nation will fall apart. That's exactly what happened. What once was a united kingdom became a divided kingdom under Solomon. And Solomon built a a glorious temple. And Solomon brought uh, wealth and prestige to the nation of Israel. And then it started to fall apart. It was a divided kingdom. There was Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And all of a sudden, other nations came along and started conquering the, the, the nation of Israel. There were the, the, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and then the, the Greeks and the Romans, or the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans. And they all came in against Israel and, and conquered the nation and carried the people off into exile. So in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. God makes this promise hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And about 1,200 years after the promise is made to Abraham. So we're talking about 7th, 8th, ninth century before the birth of Christ. And 
Israel had abandoned God, completely abandoned him. And Judah was on the verge of doing the same thing. Judah was abandoning God as well. And so uh, the Assyrians come in and conquer the northern kingdom, and the Babylonians come in and conquer the southern kingdom. And then the Persians come along and conquer them both. And then Pompey, a man named Pompey, a conqueror named Pompey came in, and he rode into the Jewish temple in 63 B.C. And he said, I want to see this Jewish God. And the temple was empty. There were no images. There were no statues. And he said, what a weak God this is. He can't even protect his own people. And they conquered the land of Israel. Once and for all. Well, about 400 years before the birth of Jesus, the last prophet of the Old Testament spoke. His name was Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, he says, God says, My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. About 400 years before the birth of Jesus, God goes silent. And then Pompey rides in, conquers Israel for the last time, and annexes Jerusalem to the Romans. And the Romans take over. Seemed like everything had failed, that all the promises made to Abraham had failed. It seemed like Israel was done. You see, God would not keep his promises to Abraham. There would be no blessing the world. There would be no light for the Gentiles. God would not be worshipped throughout the world. No, it seemed like everything had failed. And then, God spoke. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son. See, the time hadn't been right yet. And while it looked like everything had failed, God was waiting for the perfect moment to send Jesus. You see, when the Romans took over, when the Romans conquered the world, when the Romans were in charge, all of a sudden the world spoke a common language. The civilized world spoke the same language. They all spoke Greek. So there was one language. And not only that, but the civilized world also now had a system of highways and seaports connecting busy uh, cities and hubs. All of a sudden, this was the perfect time to send Jesus. And so an angel appeared to a young virgin named Mary. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, named, uh, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, the name Jesus is uh, the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. 
And Yeshua, Joshua, Yeshua, literally means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. You are to give him the name. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And when God sent Jesus, it meant that God kept his unbelievable, incoherent, seemingly impossible promises to Abraham. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. All the nations would be blessed through Abraham. Israel would be a light to the Gentiles. And the Jewish God would be worshipped throughout the world. Think about it. You are sitting in a church building on December 9th, 2018, some 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus. And you are worshiping Yahweh. You are worshiping the Jewish God. You are worshiping God. And he is being worshiped all over the planet today. Everywhere, in every time zone, God is being worshiped. Because God keeps his promises. All the nations have been blessed through Abraham's line. <coughs> Excuse me. Israel has been a light to the Gentiles because Jesus, the light of the world, came in as a Jewish, a Jewish man. And the Jewish God is worshipped all throughout the world because God kept his promises to Abraham and God keeps his promises. And the Christmas story tells me three things that you got to know today. See, the world needed Christmas. The world needed Christmas in the worst way. It was a, a violent, terrible world where nations were fighting against nations. And, and the, the, the promises made to Abraham seemed like they were going to fail. But no, God never fails. And the Christmas story teaches me this. One, God is active. God is active. God is not a passive God. He is not sitting back on a cloud somewhere just waiting for something to happen, twiddling his heavenly thumbs, going, hmm, yeah, I wish something would happen. No, God is active. He is in, involved in our world. God is reaching down and reaching into our world, and he did that ultimately through Jesus Christ. When he sent his son Jesus, he proved that he is active and involved in our world. He reached down, sent his son to, to be born of a virgin and to die on a cross and to be raised on the third day so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That if you put your faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him and turning away from sin and repentance, confessing your faith and getting baptized, God washes away your sins and he gives you the promise of eternal life with him. Yes, God is active. And moving to this day. Secondly, God is interested. God is active and God is interested. Jesus said the very number of ha the, the hairs on your head are numbered. That God knows how many hairs are on your head. What is this little bit of trivia all about? It is about a God who is interested in you. He is interested in every aspect of our world, and that includes you. 
He is interested in your life. He's not disinterested. He's not unknowing. He's all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know about you. And yet, He still loves you. He knows everything there is to know about you. And not only does He love you, but He likes you too. Do you know how, I've told you this before, but do you know how I know that God likes you? Because He wants to spend forever with you. And you don't want to spend time with people you don't like. Right? God wants to spend forever with you. He must like you an awful lot to want to spend that much time with you. God loves you. And God likes you. And He's interested in every aspect of your life. And God is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere all the time. So, one of my pet peeves when people are like, oh, God's got more important things to worry about. Really? Like, you're not important to God? You matter to God. He's interested in you. I'm not saying that to make you self-centered or, or, too, or self-important or self-righteous. I'm just telling you the truth. God loves you and God likes you and God wants to spend forever with you. And God being all-powerful, take him your prayer requests. Take him your worries. Take him your concerns. Take him your fears and anxieties. Don't ever say that God has more important things to worry about. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. You are at the top of his list of things that he is uh, concerned about, of things that he loves, of things that he wants, uh, and, and people that he loves and people that he likes. You're at the top of the list. He is active. And he is interested. And God can be trusted. God can be trusted. You see, God is not just a promise maker, but God is the original promise keeper. God keeps his promises, every single one of them. He kept the promises that he made to Abram some 4,000 years ago. He made, kept all those promises. And he'll keep the promises that he made to you. When he promises to forgive your sins, he means it. And he will forgive them. Every single one of them, past, present, and future, forgiven. When he promises to love you with an unconditional love that will never end, he means it. And he will love you forever. When God says that he's going to take you to heaven, when you pass from this life, or when Jesus returns, he's going to take you to heaven, he means it. Heaven is waiting. And we're going to go there. Not because of any great things we have done, not because we're such wonderful people, but because God is so great and God is so good and God is so loving and full of grace and he wants you to go to heaven and spend forever with him. God is active. God is interested. and God can be trusted. You can trust him to keep his promises to you. You can trust him. You know, the world needed Christmas. The world really needed Christmas. And it turns out that the world wasn't the only one that needed Christmas. But God needed Christmas too. And we hope you'll come back next week to hear all about that as we talk about how God needed Christmas.